0: Jello, my friends. Jello. Yeah, I said jello, sort of. It was like a silent j. I I said jello. Jello, my friends. Uh, great show today, gang. Thanks for being here. I'm Harlan Williams. You are on the Harlan Highway podcast. I am your host, and uh, today we are going to be talking about the benefits of cell phones and driving with cell phones. There, there is a way that this annoying uh, this annoying phenomenon can work in your favor. I'm going to uh, let you know how that works. Uh, Oscars, I know I'm a little late, but I'm going to give you my uh, Oscar review from the uh, 2013 Oscars Academy Awards show. And then uh, we have another retarded 911 call coming in. I played one a few shows ago. This one's just as stupid. What is wrong with people? Oh, yeah, I know what it is. They listen to the Harland Highway. Welcome to the Harland Highway. All right, let's get this sucker going, huh? You're causing a major disturbance on my time. It's the Harland Highway. What's up, bruh? If I'm here and you're here, doesn't that make it our time? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? You just made a wrong turn onto the harland highway this is your fucking wake-up call man you're riding down the harland highway with harland williams in 30 seconds you'll be dead Then i'll blow this place up and be home in time for cornflakes Okay, okay. I know I'm a few weeks late, but in case you didn't recognize it, that was the Oscar theme. And, uh, I just, you know, been processing or processing, however you pronounce it in your little world, um, the, uh, the Oscars. And, uh, you know, Seth MacFarlane and, uh, You know, all the actors and actresses and the the awards and the presentations and the speeches. And uh, what did you think of Seth MacFarlane? Um, I don't know. I was mixed. I thought on one hand, it's good to have someone fresh and new and energetic, but on the other hand, I felt like, man, the Oscars is a classy affair. It's like the last, it's the last like black, suit and tie and and ballroom gown event probably in America I mean where else do you see people that decked out and that well-dressed and looking that classy and that elegant where else do you see it maybe at a wedding maybe at a funeral but outside of that you know it's pretty much the Oscars man and uh, for that reason alone, I've always felt that there was an air of elegance about them, that they should be classy, that they should be respectable. And uh, at the same time, you want them to be funny and maybe a little bit edgy. But I don't know if Seth McFarlane found that balance. I found him to be a little bit crude. And, you know, from my podcast, I don't mind crude. I, I enjoy crude. But I think there's a time and a place for crude. And even some of his crude stuff I found funny, but I also went, does it really belong here? Because when you think about it, you know, the people who do movies, even though a lot of the content of movies is crude, when you get down to the Oscars, you usually get to the best of the best where the movies aren't traditionally crude. They're usually like the artiste version of movies. They're the artistic version of movies. They're the creme de la creme of movies where you have the, uh, the A-list actors and the A-list directors and the A-list producers and these people, whether you like it or not, are very intelligent and they're very skilled and they're very special people because they, they're very good at what they do. Not a lot of people can pull off what they pull off. And uh and they are the upper crust of, of the entertainment industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industry. Let's say if they were in the White House, they would be like the president and all the top advisors. You know, it would be like the creme de la creme. Uh, if you were running a corporation like uh, Apple or IBM, you would be this. The, these people would be the CEOs and the top executives. And so for that reason, I feel like they deserve or have earned a level of decorum, a level of of class, a level of respect. And uh, I don't know, you know, Seth MacFarlane was up there doing jokes about black people and doing jokes about Jewish people and doing jokes about singing songs about seeing women's boobs. And uh, he made a joke about, uh, you know, Lincoln getting a bullet in the head. He made a joke about uh, Chris Brown and Rihanna beating each other. And these are just the ones that I can remember. And I'm like, you know, you you cut from Seth MacFarlane, who's kind of a smarmy smartass, and that's why they hired him. You cut from this kind of smartass kid on stage, and you, you cut to, like, an older-looking Steven Spielberg in the crowd or some of the more distinguished actors. And also you had Seth making jokes about a lot of the distinguished people in, in attendance. And I don't know. I like the crude. I like I like you know. I like Ricky Gervais when he does the Golden Globes because it's not the Oscars. Even though you got kind of the same people and the same uh, same kind of uh, you know level of class, it ain't the Oscars. It's a notch below the Oscars, and so I don't mind a guy like Ricky Gervais, you know, taking the piss out of the crowd. But it feels like the Oscars need to be a little more up there. They're they're like the Rolls-Royce of awards shows, and I feel like that that instead of being a bird flying over the Rolls-Royce and shitting on it, you should be the guy with the white gloves spit-shining the exterior and making it sparkle. And uh, it's tough because we're at a time in society, folks, where... We have nurtured our children on being crude and brass, and our our girls are raised on Girls Gone Wild. They've been raised to lift their uh, tops up and flash their breasts uh, during drunken nights out at greasy nightclubs. Uh, We're in a society where, uh, you know... Boys are, are taught to uh, grow up and be rappers and athletes and make their money that way. And, uh, you know, let's go on and on. I don't want to start to sound like an old man. It's Probably too late. But it, it's it's a difficult uh, task now to find the line of good taste and bad taste when you've got to make the older generation happy, like the Spielbergs and some of these more distinguished Hollywood players versus the young kids coming up like the Jonah Hills and the uh, Russell Brands and, the, you know, even younger kids than that, the, the crew from American Pie and, you know, all these the, the Harold and Kumar guys. And so suddenly you got a, a giant award show, which over a billion people watch, and you got to go. How do we keep everybody interested? How do we bring in the young? How do we keep the old? And I'm not saying it's easy, but at the same time, I just wish uh, th- 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 this one this one prestigious event could remain prestigious and and have a, an air of elegance and class to it. And Seth MacFarlane to me uh, just kind of dropped it down a notch to like kind of that gutter humor, you know. It's almost like watching a raunchy stand-up comedian on a Saturday night at a smoky comedy club. But yet here he was in a tux, and you know, and also who is the guy? You know, there there was a time when you had to be like an A-list celebrity to host this gallant event. And here's a guy that, to be honest, most of us, most of the world has never even seen. Because the guy's real talent is writing cartoons for adults and doing the voices. I'm willing to bet that over three quarters of the viewing public, the worldwide public, had never physically seen this guy in their life. Who the hell is this guy? Seth who? So... Kind of an odd choice, and and you got to wonder which way the Oscars is going. Now now that he's kind of done some of that off-color, like, raunchy stuff, now do they have to top it? Do they have to keep digging into the well of degradation and keep finding this base, like, sophomoric humor for the Oscars? I mean, look at the crowd. People are in... in, uh, 50 60 100,000 dollar suits. There's crystal and chandeliers and champagne and tuxedos and diamonds. Diamonds worth more than most of us all put together. And basically you're you're there to applaud the the masterful work of some very talented people in a very 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 difficult industry. And so, as much as I, I like edgy, kind of raunchy, cutting-edge humor, I just don't know if I like it there. I think you could get away with it without being too over the head with it. So I'm, I'm mixed, man. I'm not drawing any conclusions. i got to be honest. I'm a little bit torn because I don't want to sound like an old man, but I also think in society, it's... it's it's uh, incumbent on us to uh, reserve and save just a few things in our society, in our modern society that that uh, symbolize elegance and class. I mean, if everything kind of goes to the toilet humor uh, level, what do we got left? And remember, this goes out to the whole world. One billion people watch the Oscars. There's... There's 7 billion people on the planet. One billion of those watched the Oscars. And, you know, it's kind of representative of America and our talents and our people and our humor and our art. And you got a guy that most people don't know who he is telling kind of off-color, you know, wife-beating jokes and assassination jokes and racist jokes and Singing about ladies' boobs and I don't know, man. Maybe I, maybe I got to be an old man on this one. I just think you could get just as many, if not more, laughs from from a really talented comedian or some really talented writers. I mean, uh, look at look at the Golden Globes with uh, Amy Fuller and uh, Tina Fey. They they did a great job, and it didn't feel like they were kind of doing toilet humor. They, they, they came off as very clever and uh, charismatic. And you'd think that the Oscars would strive to uh, rise above and uh, present humor in a classy way that was still acceptable to, to the masses. So there you go. And my last comment about the Oscars, since I'm ranting here, What is with the outfits the women wear? Did you see uh, that one girl, Jennifer Skyfall or whatever her name is, fall on her way up? And you're thinking, how could you fall walking up those stairs? And then they pan down. You go, oh, yeah, her dress looks like she drove her car through a sheet factory or a toilet paper factory. And everything's just dragging off the back for half a mile. Like she got out of out of her chair, got halfway up the stairs and the back half of her dress was still sitting in her seat. Waiting to be towed, man. I mean, you got to figure you're off balance, you're crooked, you're stepping on your own fabric. How do you not fall, man? They should have like training wheels affixed to their ankles underneath that giant dress. And you got to wonder what happens when these gorgeous actresses in these nine mile long dresses have to go uh, pinch a loaf or take a pee. I mean, you got to figure somewhere in, in the uh, bathrooms at the Oscars, they've uh, hired like crap holders or something. I mean, I, I could just picture uh, one of these chicks going into a stall, and there's four other uh, women in there. Who are there specifically to hold up the corners of the dress while the uh, actress sits and squats and drops the kids off? If you know what I mean. I mean, how how do you how do you get out of a dress like that? How do you lift it up to take a leak? Or maybe it's so big. Maybe there's like a porta potty right under the dress. Maybe they've everything's already equipped. Maybe they're wearing a. Maybe they're wearing a designer at all diaper. Maybe it's the whole package. They got a, you know, the the uh, the uh, dresses are like Dolce and Gabbana and all that. Maybe they got a Dolce and Gabbana designer diaper. This is the spot for you to drop all your Oscar gold right here in the Dolce and Gabbana diaper. Gross. So there you go. That's my uh, Oscar wrap-up. Uh, I know I'm a little bit late, but I needed time to process it. And there it is. I'm, I'm sure it's not more glowing. I was happy the Life of Pi won so many uh, awards. Fantastic movie. And I was actually alerted to the fact that that tiger in Life of Pi was 80-something percent CGI. It even fooled me, and I've worked in the animation industry for a while. I know a lot of these people, and I, I always feel like I have a really good eye for what, CGI and for what's real. And I read actually read some articles about it, and it turns out that most of that tiger was CGI, which blows my mind. I was telling people to go see the movie, and one of the reasons I said go see it is because the tiger is real. I mean, some of the subtle movements they did with that tiger just led me to believe that it was totally real. Incredible, incredible, man. So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Life of Pi did so well. And uh, who knows? Maybe next year I'll be on the stage receiving an award for the Harlan Highway Best Podcast in the Universe. What? No. What? Hey, what? What? All right, switching gears. And when I say switching gears, I mean it. I'm talking about cars. Uh, cars and cell phones. You know, you've heard me rant on here about how mad I get people on their cell phones, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, th- for every... Uh, Dark side, there's a bright side. And I've realized, and this is kind of a bad thing, but, you know, what the heck, take advantage of it. I've realized that people on their cell phones, when they're driving, have created many, many, many opportunities for other drivers. For example, here's what you need to do. The next time you are on a road, and it's a single-lane road, and you're at a, at a uh, light And it's red in your direction. It's red in the opposite direction. And there's a line of cars in the opposite direction. You know the light's going to turn green. You know you have to turn left. And you're going to sit there and you're going to wait till all the cars go by. And then when the light turns yellow, you're going to take your left. Here's what I do now. And this, this has worked on many occasions. What I do is I look at the first car on the opposite side of the light to me, the one that's going to start the parade through so I can't make my left, I look at that person, and more often than not, my friends, that person in the lead car is looking down at their phone while the light is red. And while the light is red, they are texting and reading messages and twittering and who knows what they're doing. But I look at their body language, and I can see that their heads are tilted down. They're looking at the floor, it looks like, but they're really looking at their phone. Voila, the light turns green. They don't know it's green because they're staring down at their phone, and they're holding up a whole line of traffic. They're not driving. It gives you a window to make your left. How often do you get to do that? You make your left before the other cars come the other way, even though the light turned green at the exact same time for both of you, so I'm inviting you to watch, watch the other, uh, watch the other driver, and you will see a lot of the time they have their head down. And look for that clue in other areas where you're driving. Someone's waiting to take a turn in front of you. Uh, someone's, you're, you're coming up to a light. You're coming up to a light and there's a car in front of you, but there's an empty lane on the right side. So you can look and you can see people with their head bent down looking at their phones. So what I'm saying is there are various openings for you to take advantage of thanks to people not paying attention to the road And looking at their phones, which makes driving all the more dangerous, by the way, very dangerous, because a lot of people do this stuff when they're in motion. So I think usually when we're driving, we look at a car, we look at the signal lights, we look at uh, the position of the car, blah, blah, blah. We don't often look in the window at the driver. But that's all changing now, thanks to cell phones. Um, start looking in at the driver. And not just for ways that you can take advantage of it, like I was saying about the left turn. Look at the driver for safety reasons, too. I find that I look at drivers a lot more now because I, I find a lot of erratic driving every time someone's like going slow or weaving Or not paying attention in front of me. I pull up beside them, and sure enough, they're looking at their cell phone. And that's damn dangerous. So look at body language. Body language is back. I'm bringing body language back. Yep. Look at that body language and use it to your advantage. And use it for your safety. God. Roger, Roger, Wha- why are you playing the Oscar theme? We did that story. What? I know, but you- I just did a whole thing about driving. It has nothing to do with the Oscars. What do you hold? People drive to the Oscars. Don't play the Oscar theme. D- don't play old themes from the last... I just did a bit on that. We- play the right Music. Yes, the crazy news story music. Thank you. The Harland Highway. Crazy news story. That's weird. Wow, that's strange stuff. I make you crazy. I make you crazy. Okay, so we have another wacky nine-one-one story here. Uh, we don't have the actual call this time, but. We do have a 911 story. I played one a couple of shows back, where some lady called the cops because she was out of cigarettes. Well, dig this: a nine-year-old kid. Okay, how dumb are we getting? A nine-year-old kid. His mother told him it was bedtime. The kid didn't want to go to bed, so he called 911. Called nine, Called the cops because he didn't want to go to bed. And uh, take a listen. This is a totally true story. Here it is. It's a common story. A 10 year old boy doesn't want to go to bed. But this boy gets creative. And he's like, I'm going to call the cops on you. 911. He just pushes it into the phone. This was 911. Somebody just called from there. Yeah, it was my son, my 10 year old son. Okay. Um no, everything is fine here. Yep, Danny called 911 to avoid bedtime. I told him to go to bed, and he doesn't want to go to bed, so he's like, I'm going to call the cops on you. I said, go ahead. Danny never actually spoke with anyone. He hung up this phone after dialing 911, but that was enough for police to not only call back, but to also send an officer here. He was actually really scared when when she found out that they were sending the police. He was actually really scared because he didn't think that he was doing anything wrong. He was going to just leave without talking to my son, but I said to him, can you please speak with my son about the importance? Uh, this can be a learning lesson instead of it just being, okay, the police came out, and that was it. I said, make this a learning experience for him, and he went and spoke with him. Huh. Smart lady. I'm, I'm glad she, she did that. That can be very scary. When you were a kid, did you ever have a run-in with a cop when you were a little kid? Like, I'm talking like 12 and under. Uh, You ever, you ever have any experience uh, having to uh, come face-to-face with a an officer of the law? It's pretty intimidating, man. I remember once when I was a little kid, uh, I found like a movie projector behind some bushes as I was walking home to my house in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh, man, a movie projector. So I struggled to get it home. I mean, you know, back then movie projectors were all metal and they were heavy. They're full of tubes and metal. and <laughs> I was crazy. But I struggled to get this big thing home, and I get it home, and I'm thinking, yay, I got myself a movie projector. And my parents were like, well, we'll have to call the police. So they called the police, and a big cop came to the door. And believe me, when you're a kid and a full-grown man in a police uniform with the gun and the hat and the handcuffs and the belt and the big black shiny shoes and the tie and the police car on the driveway – Man, when that guy comes to the door and you're a little kid, I'm telling you, what it's like Paul Bunyan came to the door. It's like a giant. You're just a kid looking up at the, I mean, these these cops are bigger than life. You're like, wow, Paul Bunyan, Officer Bunyan at your service. And uh, it's intimidating, man. I mean, you know, you don't understand the ways of the world yet. You don't understand uh, the law. You just know that there's bad and there's good when you're a kid and cops are good and bad is bad. So even though I found this thing and the cop came to do a report and he ended up taking the thing away to take it and put it in stolen goods at the police station, somehow I felt scared. I felt guilty. I was like, I didn't mean to bring home the the movie projector. Like, I, I was so intimidated and, you know, we were in broad daylight. The guy, the cop was sitting in our living room with my parents. But it's scary, man. So can you imagine being a 10-year-old kid up in your little bed with your blankie and your little pilly-poo? Your Winnie the Pooh doll in the bed with you? You're in your little jammies, your Star Wars jammies. And in walks Paul Bunyan. The cop sits down on your bed, creak. So, kid, why'd you call the cops? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah! Oh, I just pissed the bed. I mean, that would be scary. I think that mother was very smart and probably taught that kid a little humility, taught that kid a little respect, taught that kid, uh, you know, not to not to muck around. Be a dumbass. So good for you. Good for you. And uh, hopefully it taught that kid not to be, uh, you know, do anything so stupid. Guy doesn't want to go to bed, so he calls the cops. What's next? I don't want to brush my teeth. I'm calling the police. I don't want to brush my hair. Hello, 911? Help. Maybe it maybe it worked the other way. Maybe now the kid's like, holy smokes, I can get out of anything now. I don't want to eat my peas. Help me, officer. 911, what's your emergency? I don't want to eat my peas. We'll be right over. Thank you. Oh, boy. Well, hey, lesson learned. And uh, good luck to that kid. Um, And I guess we're, uh, Roger, we're kind of at the end of the show, aren't we? No, no, stop it. Roger, turn off the Oscar music. Turn it off. Roger, turn it off. What's the matter with you? That's twice you've done it. Now cut it out. That was a 911 story. Are we at the end of the podcast? Yes, that's all you had to do was nod your head. No, no, stop it. Roger, Roger, stop it. Turn off the goddamn fucking Oscar music. Great, now everyone heard me blow up like that. What is wrong with you, man? (sighs) Nutbag. Sorry about that, folks. Anyways, let's we are at the end of the show. I uh, hope you had a good time. I know I was a little late with the Oscar stuff. A thousand apologies. Um, but anyways, let's move on to some announcements. Hey, if you want to see me live doing stand-up comedy live, guess what? I'm going to be at a place called The Parlor Live in Seattle, Washington. And that's going to be March 28th to uh, the 30th. Thursday through Saturday, the parlor live. Go online to harlowwilliams.com. Get your tickets. It's an amazing club. Do some great shows up there, man. Uh, you're going to love it. Come on out. Come on out and hang with the kid. And uh, we, we're going to lay down some funny player. Um, You can write me at harlowwilliams.com. You can call me at 323-739-4330. Uh when you're online check out the uh, Harland uh, Highway uh, merchandise store for movies and uh, CDs, music, t-shirts, videos, books, all kinds of paraphernalia on uh, harlandwilliams.com at our store. Um we have the free app harlandapp.com. You can get into that. Um what else, man? My new special is out. It's for sale uh, on uh, Apple at iTunes, or you can get it at my store. Harlem Williams, A Force of Nature. My new hour-long stand-up comedy special shot in the middle of the desert with no audience in broad daylight. It's crazy. I think you'll dig it. Um, so check that out, and uh, thanks for being here, man. You've been a great audience. And uh, we hope we catch you here next time. And until then, a great big golden Oscar bowl of chicken chow mein, baby.